Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 274. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm very honored to be bringing you a conversation with Dr. Hong Deb and Kim Hooper, who together with Meredith Resnick have co-authored a book about the subject of pregnancy loss called All the Love. In our conversation today, you'll be hearing Hong speak about the trauma that is often overlooked as an experience when people have pregnancy loss. Oftentimes it happens, but because it's so taboo in our culture, people seldom speak about it and people don't know what to say to the person who's going through it. And it can be a very isolating and traumatic experience, both the physical aspects and the emotional aspects. So you will hear Hong speaking about that and about how diverse types of couples may have particular concerns regarding pregnancy loss. And Kim is going to share about her experiences of pregnancy loss and how it impacted her and what people who have gone through that need in terms of support. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation and let's just dive right into my interview with Dr. Hong Deb and Kim Hooper. With me today are Dr. Hong Depp and Kim Hooper, who together with Meredith Resnick are the authors of All the Love, Healing Your Heart and Finding Meaning After Pregnancy Loss. Hong and Kim, thank you so much for being my guests on Therapy Chat today. Thank you thank for you. having us. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah, I'm really excited too. I know that this episode is going to be so informative and helpful for many, many people who are listening. And I'm really excited to discuss the topic of pregnancy loss with a focus on trauma response and also the considerations for LGBTQ plus couples and racial, cultural, and socioeconomic issues for BIPOC folks that could impact their way that one recovers from this type of experience. 
So before we even really dive into our conversation, can I ask you each to briefly introduce yourselves to our audience and tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so um, I'm Kim Hooper. I am a writer by trade. I never thought I would really write a nonfiction book like this until I experienced pregnancy loss myself. So I had four losses starting in 2015. Um, I had two ectopic pregnancies. I had an early miscarriage and I had a second trimester loss of my son. And I eventually did have a daughter who's now three. So there is that quote unquote happy ending. But um, speaking, like you said, there's still residual trauma and there's definitely trauma issues that come up with pregnancy loss. And I think when I sat down to write the book, that's that's some of what I really wanted to focus on is kind of all the things that come up with a pregnancy loss where you're grieving, not just the baby or the babies that you've lost, but grieving kind of a belief system about the world and kind of what that trauma is like. Hong and I have been friends. We met 20 years ago. So when I sat down to do this book, I definitely wanted to include experiences beyond just my own. And I knew Hong has seen hundreds of clients over the years, and she's worked with LGBTQ plus couples, BIPOC couples, and she's learned a lot about like the intersectionality of, of how different things can make pregnancy loss, grief, even more complicated. So I kind of wanted her perspective in the book in addition to my personal story. So um, that's kind of how we came to meet and write the book together. And it's been a really great experience to kind of be part of this community. Awesome. Yeah. My name is Dr. Hong Depp, and I am a board certified psychologist. Um, and I am based in uh, San Diego. And but I've been working sort of all over. Um, and my focus is really looking at the intersection of gender, culture, and language through a very trauma-informed and culturally sensitive lens. And um, specifically in terms of looking at the intersection of uh, LGBTQ and, you know, BIPOC folks. And so when, um, as Kim's friend for all these years, I, I definitely saw her you know, going through, you know, experiences firsthand. And despite, you know, even being a mental health therapist, there are times that I felt just a little helpless in terms of really wanting to be there for my friend, but sometimes afraid, you know, of saying, you know, the wrong thing. So I think that was something that I could empathize with folks who maybe sometimes don't say anything at all for fear of saying something wrong. But then, so I think we're really excited to be able to give some education of like, hey, here's what might be helpful and here's how to approach, you know, this, this experience. And um, in addition to really, yeah, just amplify certain voices that maybe have been marginalized or oppressed or just that, you know, for, I haven't had the opportunity to to share in their um, in that what typically has been known as like a more disenfranchised grief. Yeah. So when I hear you say disenfranchised grief, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, that it seems to me, and pregnancy loss is not my specialty, but it's certainly something that many people I know in my personal and professional life have experienced. And I've felt unsure of what to say when it's happened with people in my personal life. I've learned more about how to respond professionally. But, you know, there are so many messages in our culture about 
family, mixed messages, if you will, about what family is, what, you know, the experience of pregnancy, the, the, and then when there's a loss, oftentimes we don't culturally really talk about it. It's, you know, we often hear later someone saying, oh, well, I never mentioned this to you, but I have had three miscarriages prior to conceiving this baby or, you know, it's almost like it didn't happen sometimes, you know, the, that when there's a miscarriage, it's like, oh, they were pregnant and now they're not. And mm-hmm. just don't talk about it kind of thing. So Kim, are you open to sharing a little bit about sort of how you've, what has impacted you as you've gone through these experiences? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you're right that this is something that as a culture, we're so silent about. And I think it really comes down to women feeling just a lot of shame about this loss, like kind of feeling like, well, my body was made to do this and it somehow failed. It's failed me. It's failed everybody else. So I think there's a lot of silence and shame that's still there, even though more and more people are starting to open up about their experiences. I think that's still there. Like you said, as a culture, we're just not great with grief in general, but this kind of, you know, grief for a baby that you never saw yourself, um, like you didn't see your friend's pregnancy, you didn't even know about it. Um, then it's really, it's, it's even, it's kind of compounded the, the difficulties that people have with grief. So um, especially with this kind of loss, I, I, I think there's a lot of what Hong has informed me is called toxic positivity. <laughs> I think it's easy for people to kind of just try to rush you past your grief and just say, it'll happen when the time is right, or one of them will stick, or maybe, you know, it wasn't meant to be this time. And kind of everything is said with this lightness that is really invalidating of the experience. And for me, that made me feel more alone. I already felt kind of ashamed and quiet. But then when I would hear anything like that, and I was very sensitive to it. So it could be as small as somebody saying, you know, well, let me know when you're ready for a happy hour. And I just would recoil and retreat. And because I just didn't get the sense that anybody really wanted to know the depth of the pain I was going through. And I think that adds to the silence. And then it's, you're kind of then in a real isolated situation where your grief isn't really being validated. And for me, I mean, I, I didn't trust my feelings. Like, am I, am I too sad? Like, am I not handling this well? Like, am I not doing this right? Whatever right is. So I think that can be really challenging when you're going through it. It can kind of get you into uh, really up in your own head. Yeah, that's a really, I mean, when you were talking about that, it it's like, I'm just hearing sort of like everyone needing to skip over how you feel and just get to when are you going to get over this so that I can be comfortable or something, you know? Yes. Right. And I mean, I get it because they they didn't experience what your body has been through. They didn't hold the dream of the baby. They didn't. There's nothing visual for them to really attach to. So I can see why, you know, people want to kind of like rush past it. And even therapists, I saw therapists during that time. And I think it's it's even hard for therapists sometimes to sit with that difficulty I mentioned to you before we we went on that I had a therapist who said after my third loss, like, well, you're not going to try again. Right. I mean, you know, like this is too much or, you know, and I think that's just her discomfort with like, I can't see you continue to go through this. Like, you're not going to keep doing this. Right. And I did feel when I tried again that people thought I was foolish and I couldn't really open up about 
the hope or the determination I had, which again, creates a lot of isolation. So, yeah. And also, as I was hearing you speak, it's that isolation, like you said, that's a, that's a um, common feeling for people who've experienced trauma. And so one of the things that I had mentioned before we started talking was how, you know, it seems like people think they should be over it. And especially if, like you said, you have a daughter now, but you lost a son and two ectopic pregnancies that you had before that. And, or did I get that right? Two ectopic pregnancies and a miscarriage. So I had four losses total. Four. Sorry about Mm -hmm. that. So you lost a a son, (laughs) you had another miscarriage and two ectopic pregnancies. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, then you, you know, it's like goal oriented U.S. culture, like, well, you got that baby, you got your daughter now. So, okay, everything's all right. Right. You know, it's like it does, it ignores the experience and the process and the pain. Yeah. And and I do try to speak a lot and Hong and I do write about this in the book too, about how it doesn't just go away. Cause I do think we have this rainbow baby culture where we assume that once somebody has that child, that it erases the pain. Um, And there's still things and I've been through a lot of therapy, but there's still things that I continue to work through. And I have evidence of the trauma that comes up at times. Like I I have a lot of medical anxiety. Like I last year went to get my knee ultrasound and they were just like bringing in the ultrasound machine with the gel. And I was just like, got this like visceral response. So um, there's things that last. I mean, I there's, you know, fears and anxieties that linger that I think people don't give a lot of attention to. So while I'm happy that more people are coming forward and sharing their experience and saying, oh, I had a pregnancy loss. I still think it's important to talk about the whole process and the whole trauma response and how we recover from that. Because, you know, I think there's still a lot of silence about what that all entails. Thank you. Yeah. And I think too, of just listening to the both of you chat about trauma and that in my work with trauma, what I see oftentimes is that the first trauma, right, the, the, the pregnancy loss, the assault, the death, whatever the, the traumatic incident is, is oftentimes not what my client comes in about. It's the secondary trauma, which is then the reaction, right, of others to their trauma that further perpetuates the stigma and the pain um, of what they're going through, right? Like, let's say with an individual, you know, and and unfortunately in our culture um, that's very, you know, blaming and shaming, let's say someone experienced a sexual assault, right? And then asking, well, what, what did you do? What were you wearing? Or why were you out at night, right? Or in this case with a pregnancy loss, right? Being like, oh, but you were exercising a lot or, you know, or again, also, oh, but at least, you know, you could get pregnant, like you could do it again um, or, or you already have one child, right? So it's, it's that, it's the reaction oftentimes what I see in my work that then further even cements the the loneliness and the isolation that Kim mentioned um, that just further exacerbates the symptoms, you know, of potentially, you know, diagnosable PTSD or just a traumatic, you know, response. And that with the lack of knowledge of just the different physiological reactions that our body has um, to a trauma response and a traumatic event that oftentimes, especially if, you know, an individual, let's say, in this case, post-pregnancy loss is already going through such a surge of hormonal changes and everything like that can either just 
accredited or credit it to, oh, you know, this is just more hormones or other people will be like, oh gosh, you're just, it's just hormonal or just really feeling like they're going crazy. I mean, I have often a lot of clients come in to me like, I just, I just feel like I'm going crazy. And, and I, and their, but their body is having, you know, a traumatic response to, I mean, if we look at the medical invasiveness of, um, um, and I know Kim talks about that um, in the book of, the different procedures, um, which I did not know about that, that it entails, it is literally invasive into, to your body. Um, and so I, I think that one of the things I try to do in my work is really just to validate and, and to hold space, you know, for people to believe them when they say like, this is still really hard for me. Um, and, or this is hard for me and this is painful for me and, and nobody else, you know, gets it. And, you know, especially when potentially it's their partner. And I, 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 I do have to say, too, it's like I never understood. I thought trauma was like these major, huge events. Like I remember my first ectopic pregnancy and I called my therapist who I hadn't seen in a long time. And I just left her this voice message. And I said, I know I haven't seen you in a while, but this thing happened to me and it's it's not I'm fine. It's nothing like awful. It's just I lost this pregnancy and I feel like I, and when I came in, she was like, Kim, this is a trauma. And I was like, no, I mean, no, it's not a trauma. Like, I, I think it took me a really long time to even embrace the fact that, oh, this is a traumatic event. Like I, I, a traumatic event does not have to be like, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, I didn't know that what a traumatic event was until I kind of kept going to therapy and, and uncovering all that. So and maybe that's because I felt some of the pressure to not consider it a trauma, to just like move on. And I think that it is validating and therapists, it, it helps when therapists just validate it. Like, no, this is a trauma because, you know, it, I know it felt like that inside, but to have somebody else kind of confirm that was just helpful. <laughs> yeah, that's so great to hear, Kim. I'm so glad that that therapist was able to do that for you. And that I think, yeah, a lot of times in my work too, it really is putting a name to a cluster of experiences or symptoms or reactions, right? Because yeah, and that so often, you know, as you're going through it, it's it's hard to to parse apart the different feelings. And I think, and again, I don't like to diagnose or overly label or pathologize, but oftentimes just naming experience, you know, for what it is in terms of, and then to show, hey, here's potential trajectories of other folks, you know, who have gone through, you know, similar experiences. I think there is a from what you've shared, a, a sense of comfort and, and validation that could be like, okay, like I'm not going crazy and I'm not the only one that is experiencing mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And as a and culture, think, if we come to seeing pregnancy loss as a trauma, because even just mm -hmm. that thing, that statement would be revolutionary. Pregnancy loss is a trauma. Mm -hmm. Like women cannot just go back to work right after and mm -hmm. be productive as they always were. And we're not going to be ready for happy hours, probably. I mean, some people might, but or that might be their, you know, what yeah. they do. But like, I, I think recognizing it as it's a traumatic experience in our culture um, mm -hmm. would be would really shift things. Yeah, but I think we've seen too, you know, in social media, right? That, you know, let's say for example, with Chrissy Teigen and openly sharing about her, you know, pregnancy loss. That we see that there were some people who applauded her, and you know, was like that's so brave. And unfortunately, there was still that camp too that was like, yeah. you know, TMI, like too much information, right? That like they again just like didn't 
you know, want to see it, right? But I think it goes back to that conversation you had about, I think that for a lot of folks, they were trying to like silver line, right? Your yeah. experience and that the whole at least, right? What Renee Brown says is kind of the difference between sympathy and empathy, right? Because for somebody to truly, even if they hadn't experienced a pregnancy loss, they would have to tap into something in them, like some grief, some loss, some hope that mm-hmm. didn't materialize. But not a lot of people, you know, want to to do that or have the self-awareness or the um, empathy, let's say, to to really sit in that pain for a minute to be like, okay, I haven't experienced a pregnancy loss myself, right? But how would I feel or how can I imagine how Kim would feel, you know, in this moment? And is, does this remind me of something, you know, for myself? And so I think that's the part that I think oftentimes, you know, um, you know, clients will say too, like, oh, I'm getting a lot of sympathy from people, like kind of the pity face and, you know, the, oh, like bringing over the casseroles and, you know, all that stuff, which, you know, is is great as well. But, but definitely, I think oftentimes just sitting and having somebody sit next to you and, and, and sit in with your pain, I think is one of the most powerful and healing things that, you know, we can do, especially as therapists. Yes. And that's really, that's so powerful because I think that's part of it, you know, in the big picture with our culture doesn't like to talk about painful things. We have this whole like history that we don't like to think about or talk about in terms of, you know, oppression of peoples and genocide and, you know, it's like, yeah, but look how we're, we're so great. We technology and we make so much money and buying stuff and oh, yeah. <laughs> we look so pretty and, you know, like focus on just, it's almost like culturally toxic positivity is our oh, yeah. brand. <laughs> I told, I told Hong recently that I feel like our culture has avoidant personality disorder because <laughs> we're just, we're not willing, we don't want to deal with it. We're just like the la la la, like gloss over things. And so when you're going through something hard, it's, it can be very, you just feel this very jarring. You feel kind of like you're on a separate island from the rest of the world. Like everybody else is kind of pretending like everything is great. And you're kind of like, no, I'm in a lot of pain. (laughs) So it can be very um, unsettling, I guess is the word. Yeah. It makes me think about what you said at the beginning of this conversation. I didn't jot down the words you said, but you said something about like change in the way you see the world after this experience. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, for me, it completely, I think I'd always been one of those people who thought life was generally fair. So if you do the right things, good things happen to you. You know, I hadn't really had anything horrible happen to me. I hadn't been through any terrible grief. And so this kind of just rocked me in that life is very fragile. And sometimes bad things just happen. They don't mean anything. There's no like rhyme or reason. If you're a good person, it doesn't mean that you're immune from certain things happening. So that kind of just rocked me. I mean, it seems like such a simple truth, but it's something I had never really felt in my core. Like, you know, we don't have the control that we want to think we have. And at first that was very depressing. Now I see it as very liberating. Like, oh, we don't have control. Thank God. Like, but, but I think in the beginning it was just like, what? Like I can follow all the rules. I can take all the vitamins. I can do all the things. I, you know, have been a high achiever my whole life, but like I cannot sustain a pregnancy was just so reflective of many bigger things for me of things that I just couldn't control. And 
it was, I think the word I said was paradigm shift. It just shifted how I saw life and how I saw fairness and how I saw fragility and kind of, you know, I kind of, I think the grief that I went through was grieving the babies. Yes. But just grieving that kind of innocence, you know, naive belief system, which would have been nice. I mean, yeah, it would have been nice to go through life <laughs> um, always having that. But I, I do think that all of us come to that kind of disillusionment at some point. And obviously I've made meaning in my own way, but to just accept that in and of themselves, my losses didn't mean anything. They didn't mean I wasn't supposed to be a mother or that my body was defective or they didn't mean those things. Like, so I had to kind of create my own meaning. And I know they added that as a stage of grief a year or two ago. And I've, I've found a lot of peace and comfort in time, but it was very jarring. It was really changed the way I saw everything. It was probably my, my first trauma that um, had really shook me in that way. So, and I'm sure you guys as therapists, you know, that's common. <laughs> Yeah, Kim, I think just even listening to you talk now, um, it just made me think a lot about the work that, you know, I do, I'm sure Laura does as well in terms of, you know, I'm trained in cognitive processing therapy. So CPT, which is used a lot um, for um, in the Veterans Administration and the VA, you know, with vets afterwards. Um, but it's really examining our stuck points, right? Like, what are the things that we have kept repeating to ourselves following a traumatic event? Um, and so, you know, potentially if one of the stuck points for some um, folks experiencing pregnancy loss was, you know, it was my fault or, you know, my body's defective or, you know, or whatever it is. And so it's really examining the stuck points and, and um, how to challenge that in a little bit of narrative therapy, you know, as well and schema therapy of, of really trying to, yeah, how, how can you integrate sort of this traumatic experience into your life beliefs, right? And, and that, yeah, for a lot of folks, um, you know, it sounds like you were been able to do that work to not become jaded and, and, and cynical about the world, but to know that, yes, it, it is. It's unfortunate that, you know, it's not the simple rule of good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Right. But I think it sounds like you've been able to kind of process it um, and, you know, get to a place where you can create your own meaning, you know, from the experience. Yeah. Well, you know, something interesting that you're um, talking about, some of these things I can't help but notice um, some of the things that you're talking about, like my body's broken or I'm not meant to be a mother, you know, identity things. Those are, if you are a therapist, those are like indicators that the person is talking about the wounds of trauma because mm. it shifts your worldview. One of the things that is an indication of, for example, PTSD, not to say that just having that that change means one has PTSD, but one of the aspects of a PTSD diagnosis is that, you know, a change in the way you see the world. So it's something that trauma does. So, you know, I was saying to you before how I think that many people who experience pregnancy loss do a lot of, they seek, when they seek support, they're doing grief work and they're seeking, you know, grief therapy or um, infant loss or pregnancy loss groups, but sometimes the trauma part isn't, isn't part of it. And that, you know, so then there's still a piece of it that's unresolved, even if the grief part has healed, you know, so 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So Hong, can you share a little bit about some of the ways that this type of experience can land for people who are not like for LGBTQ couples or and for people of a variety of cultures and ethnic backgrounds? Yeah, so I look at um, uh, big question. My, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, but I look at my viewpoint as I view um, the world through an intersectional lens, and so in terms of intersectionality, you know, which is a, a phrase that's kind of getting a—it's a buzzword now, but it was actually coined back in 1989 by Kimberly Crenshaw, which is just looking at how the different um, race, class, gender, and other identities intersect with one another and potentially create overlapping systems of discrimination and oppression, right? So basically, it's just understanding that all oppression is linked and that everyone has their own unique experiences of discrimination and oppression. And so you can imagine, so let's say piggybacking on what we just talked about, about the idea of, oh, my body is broken. So if that's a thought that one, a cisgender heterosexual person has after pregnancy loss, you can imagine only for a person who grew up, you know, identifying as queer, you know, within part of the LGBTQ community, um, that already that ingrained sense of internalized homophobia, internalized transphobia of already feeling like something's wrong with their body, right? Like, let's say having gender, you know, dysphoria, that their current gender identity does not match their assigned um, gender, assigned sex at birth, that that's just going to perpetuate that even more um, in terms of the idea that, oh, wow, like maybe my family was right. Maybe there is something wrong with me. And that's why I'm not able to have a child or, oh, wow, my grandma was right. Like I am, you know, condemned and, and sinful. And that's why, you know, I can't or couple, have a child. Or couples who are told that it's not natural. So yes. then if they have a loss, mm-hmm. it's like it, it brings up the trauma of having heard that for years leading up to this moment. So Definitely. And that for a lot of um, couples that I work with and, you know, done research, you know, looking at the research that there is a whether conscious or subconscious desire to be a quote unquote normal family. Right. And that this idea of like, okay, well, if I'm outside walking with my kid and my partner, then maybe we're not going to get harassed because people you know, aren't going to harass families as much. And we're finally going to fit in with everyone else because we can all talk about being sleep deprived, you know, together or whatnot. Right. But then there is a sense of, oh, so now I'm not I'm not part of that club either. Right. And on top of that, that disenfranchised grief of and then nobody understands. Right. Of If you look at especially, let's say, a um, two male identified folks, um, you know, um, a gay couple who are using a surrogate, let's say, you know, and that surrogate experience is a pregnancy loss. I mean, I think for a lot of folks are not going to understand and just be like, but you physically right, didn't get pregnant or like you never met this child or you didn't even know your surrogate, perhaps. Right. Or you know, for a trans um, male. So let's say somebody who is assigned female at birth and they still have the female parts so that they can get, you know, physically, medically um, pregnant. That then, you know, the steps leading up to that, I think oftentimes folks don't realize that, you know, they have to, let's say they have been on hormone replacement therapy. They have to go off their estrogen to allow and perhaps take even um, additional testosterone to kind of get testosterone, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm reversing my hormones that they're, um, have to, um, go off get their off testosterone. testosterone, testosterone, thank you to, <laughs> you know, allow the estrogen perhaps take, um, estrogen, more estrogen again, that, that one that is like 
you know, all those hormonal things. It's like now they're going through like a third puberty and then potentially to experience that increased dysphoria, right, of basically allowing their bodies to you know, go back to a place that they don't know, they don't identify with, but the desire, right? Let's say in that, in that um, scenario to have a biological child. And so I think these are different, um, you know, we are, I, I know there's already such a dearth of providers who can provide sort of gender affirming services. And then we add on this another layer of like gender affirming services within the pregnancy and, and perinatal, you know, postnatal kind of community. Thank you for saying that. And can you Add anything about like just views of family or uh, roles that might, how culture may influence those as well, if there's anything that you think would be relevant? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think when, um, you know, even despite all our social progress, when, um, you know, you ask somebody, oh, think of a family, right? In your mind, I think on our minds immediately this idea of like a man and a woman and 2.5 kids right um and a white and yes there you go and a dog now um a pandemic puppy now um and so i think that yeah it's we still live in a very cisgender heteronormative world and, and i recognize you know as i'm saying all this i just always want to recognize my own privilege and that you know i am a person of color um i am a child of refugees um but you know my privilege is that i navigate this world as a cisgender heterosexual you know individual and so i think i don't have the lived experiences and so but i have um, you know, more than 15 years of the clinical experience and research and, you know, being an ally, you know, to the community and, and being holding space, you know, for, for stories. And so I think that, you know, for me of checking my own privilege and my own assumptions of what family is, what gender identity is, you know, of my own sort of sort of my own biases. And I think that's usually when I do trainings for other therapists, um, you know, it really is asking them to, to really think about potentially their own assumptions and their own biases and what, how, what they may be consciously or subconsciously, you know, bringing into, you know, the therapeutic, you know, room and that we're not, none of us are immune to, you know, societal um, pressures and, 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 you know, we look at like a marketing and, and, you know, it's all just so deeply woven into the structure of our everyday lives and not to, you know, discount um, or, you know, saying that that's permissible. But, but I think it is something where oftentimes, you know, in terms of when working with marginalized communities of really examining sort of the different layers of, of structure, right, that can potentially oppress, um, you know, these different groups. I love what you were just saying, Hong. And I'm also thinking about how, you know, there's so many layers and so many structures involved in a person's experience of marginalization, oppression, or feeling a sense of belonging, you know, identity of what it means to be a parent, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be cisgender, to not be cisgender, and all the forms that that can take. And also, I'm thinking about like, for example, you talked about Chrissy Teigen before, before mm -hmm. she talked about her pregnancy loss, or her, I can't, I think her baby died at birth. 
I can't remember exactly if it he was, was stillborn. He was stillborn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. But before that, I believe I remembered her talking in the past couple of years about her experiences of, you know, postpartum anxiety and depression, perinatal mental health. So she's done a lot to raise awareness of that. I'm thinking about other celebrities like Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union, I believe where they had a baby through a surrogate and they Mm -hmm. were posting about it on social Mm -hmm. media and people were shaming them saying that's not really your child and things like that. And Serena Williams talking about her experience of having a pulmonary embolism during delivery and Mm -hmm. not being, or just following delivery and not really being taken seriously. So there are a lot Mm -hmm. of, you know, aspects of ways that, It's kind of like what you were saying about the secondary trauma, the ways that people respond, compound the person who's going through it and their partner, their experience of the loss. So, um, you know, like even saying like it was God's will and things like that, that people mean to be helpful, but it feels unsupportive, invalidating and makes the, the person feel more isolated and alone. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, just you bringing up about Serena Williams. So I'm like, if this is Serena Williams, she's getting exactly. poor treatment, right? You can only imagine. If Serena Williams the can't app, be taken right? care of well average. enough then. Yeah. yeah, we know that there is this concept called the weathering effect. I don't know if you've heard about it, but basically, you know, for Black women, because of their different layers of oppression, that um, this weathering effect is that the different layers are stress, because we know that stress is not good um, for us and the compounding impacts of it just leads to potentially poor outcomes during um, pregnancy and an increase in pregnancy loss and on top of that potentially maltreatment or poor treatment or you know not getting into correct diagnoses um, amongst you know medical providers um, you know due to lack of training or subconscious or conscious biases yeah and maternal death too I mean we know mm-hmm. black women die more in labor Mm -hmm. or immediately after labor, the stats, you know, show us clearly where that there are biases. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, Hong shared a good example in the book that kind of opened my eyes um, to something when she was talking about a client who, a black client who had a pregnancy loss. And I think it was like a misdiagnosis or something. And she wanted to get very angry with the doctor, but she felt like I can't, I I have to compose myself and not express my true feelings because I don't want to be labeled the angry black woman or, you know, so just thinking about that and having to like censor yourself in that way, it just, it is added layers of stress that I think a lot of us don't realize or see and the intersection of that with the grief of pregnancy loss. It's just an, it's, it's an added thing. So. Yeah. It just makes me think how confusing it must feel for someone to go through this and have these you know, this grief and this trauma, and then all these other complicating factors that can just make it so difficult and so overwhelming, you know, it's like, where do you even start and to ask for help? And if you try to speak with people and they're trying to be supportive, but it's making you feel dismissed and invalidated and alone. And, you know, you know, like, how can you even trust that if you ask for help, that you'll be able to receive the help that's going to resonate as you 
mentioned, even with, you know, clearly well-intentioned therapist, you were working with Kim, who said Mm -hmm. something that you found very painful. Yes. Yeah. Like telling me, yeah, you're not going to try again, are you? As if I was like insane to consider keep to keep trying when I already felt that way a little bit inside. So it didn't help to hear it kind of validated in that way. Um, but I think, yeah, I think even for therapists, it's it's tempting to kind of, you know, cover the pain or limit it or something, you know, to, to watch somebody going through something so painful like that. So, yeah, I mean, the best therapy for me has been the therapy that allows me to just have my feelings and validate them. And, you know, yeah, the validation goes so far to healing. So. Thank yeah. And I think sharing. too, yeah, I think I wanted to share too, or just that, like, yeah, even if somebody is looking for therapy, we know that unfortunately there are so many barriers to therapy, whether that be, you know, first the stigma, right. Unfortunately, I mean, I think it's gotten better um, during this pandemic that, you know, not that I want to silver line this pandemic either, um, but that definitely I think people are realizing that mental health, right, is is important. Um, and so I think, you know, for folks of dealing with their own um, stigma and oppression and ideas of what mental health is and isn't, and then on top of that, the potential barriers of just, yeah, how do you even like, can you afford therapy, right? Does your insurance cover, you know, therapy? Um, I mean, I know with telehealth right now, that has increased, you know, some access and stuff, but they're still like licensure restrictions and you know and then on top of that really finding you know the right fit especially if you're looking for somebody who um you know has you know who's gender affirming and you know an ally to you know those rttq community and on top of that also has you know um kind of perinatal experience right so it's almost like kind of sometimes i know i have some clients you know be like oh my gosh it's like finding trying to find a unicorn yeah so uh, i'm wondering i mean it sounds like your book for one is an amazing resource just to even help people understand that they're not alone in this experience and that you know sort of making sense out of it Mm-hmm. through, you know, hearing about Kim's experience. And, but do you two have any resources that you would recommend to people or suggestions on how to find someone who can help when one has pregnancy loss and especially for the more marginalized groups to also be able to access that? Hong probably knows more than I do, but I, I know that for me, um, you know, there are a lot of therapists these days who do specialize in pregnancy loss and perinatal mental health. And I'm seeing that specialty more and more. So I think if that, if you want to find somebody who can relate on that personal level and knows a lot about this experience, you can definitely seek out those particular specialists. I mean, we always tell people to look at the directory on psychology today. And then there's community counseling centers that often have like sliding scale fees, just using the best practices that I've found as a therapy client over the years of just having like a phone consult, you know, a 10 minute chat with a therapist just to kind of see if you know, the therapist really gets you and understands where you're coming from and what you're struggling with. And um, to me, you can tell a lot within 10 minutes of just, you know, if I share something about this pregnancy loss, are they jumping in with the right or the wrong things to say? Mm -hmm. Um, Do they kind of know how to validate what I'm going through? Um, You can learn a lot in a 10 minute call. So I kind of feel like that's the advice I give people. And everyone's financial situation, it's like, you know, if you have insurance, you of course start with your insurance Mm -hmm. website. If if you're looking for sliding scale fees, there's community counseling centers and options. So it really varies. And Hong probably has more information on that just because she's so plugged into resources. 
Yeah. And I think in addition to that, too, I think especially if you're looking for somebody who identifies with a certain racial ethnic group, um, there definitely are um, different websites um, that I can you know, share later that you can maybe link to your show notes or something like that, sure. um, um, that, you know, for different communities, right? Because I know oftentimes too, it's like that extra layer of like, I don't want to have to explain certain things about my culture or my beliefs on top of then also explaining about my pregnancy loss, right? So I think that's why for, um, you know, some folks that's been very helpful or, you know, and definitely too, of looking at like your local LGBTQ chapter um, and reaching out to them. And I always tell people, you know, it is unfortunately like a kind of having to be a very proactive kind of search and that if you you know if there's is somebody you're like oh my gosh this would be the perfect person for me and then you know they're full just always ask them hey like do you have anybody else you would refer right because I'm always if somebody reaches out to me and I'm full then I'm always like okay well what area are you looking for what are you doing because that's just like a very like as a professional so that's what you know we do is and then being like okay I might I, I don't have room for you right now or you know my schedule's full but you know here are other providers that I trust and that I can refer you to or at least here are different resources you know and, and again um, you know uh, a plug for the book that is, there definitely is a list of resources you know at the end and there's different screeners in there as well and again no replacement for individual one-on-one therapy but um, the way we wrote it is that if somebody has a specific um, concern they can go to the table of contents and go specifically there and then they'll read about you know Kim's kind of personal experience you know with that um, and then either Meredith or I sort of therapist you know hats view on that um, and all in very non-jargony you know language and so I think that's what you know I, re- I think we're really proud of our you know our book for that because it's just is really accessible to a lot of folks who unfortunately may not have the time, money, resources, you know, whatnot to for right now, you know, get into individual, you know, therapy. And that for some people, I think too, as a therapist, I forget like they're really it's scary right, to go and, you know, sit across from, you know, or I guess across the Zoom screen now from a stranger and just start to open up. And so I think I am very aware of that, um, given that I've been in therapy myself, too. And so I think I always have to remind myself, yeah, like this is going to take some time to, you know, to build to rapport and that especially if you know, someone hasn't been studying psychology for the last 15 years as, as I have or something, then yeah, it's definitely going to be, you know, entering a new, a new environment. So I think in a way, maybe this is a little gateway into understanding more that therapists are human too, and that, you know, we're not scary and that, you know, what, but that we have, you know, the training and a lot of us, you know, potentially the lived experiences to um, support and to provide that space and validation. Awesome. And I, I just want to add quickly that in my area, our, our local hospice organization offers a lot of free counseling and support groups for around grief and loss and related to many specific topics. So um, I think that's a a common thing that hospice organizations often do and a way for people to maybe ease in if they're not either able financially to start with a therapist or they also aren't sure, you know, if that's what they want to do or what they need. That's a, that's a resource that many communities offer, but Where can people find your book? Because I know when people are listening to this, they're going to want to go right out and buy it. So where can they find it? Um, It's available wherever you would normally buy books. So um, we always recommend Bookshop to support the independent booksellers, but you can get it on Amazon. 
you can get it as an ebook, a paperback, whatever, whatever you think is best. You can also, we have a website, alltheloveafterloss.com. Um, so we have blog posts there. We talk a little bit more about the book so you can kind of, you know, read up on, on, on our viewpoint and what's in the book. Fabulous. So I will link to alltheloveafterloss.com and any other resources that you two want to send me after we finish recording and I'll put those in the show notes. And I just want to thank you both Kim and Hong so much for being my guests today on therapy chat. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to therapy chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 